worship team. And if you are on your way out, first through fifth graders, have an awesome time down in Kids Zone. I'm thankful for the many men and women who um, miss out on Sunday morning fellowship with you to minister and fellowship to them. It's so crucial for the growth of this church and for really the strength of your families that your children are disciple both at home and here at church. Grateful for the men and women that give of their time and energies to do that. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5 as we continue and kind of conclude this section of the Sermon on the Mount, the series called Hashtag Blessed, as we've worked through the Beatitudes together. If you want to turn to Matthew 5, 10 through 12, we'll be there in a moment. Just to get us thinking about where I think this passage meets us is to ask you a question. What truth do you hold on to during suffering? What truth do you hold on to, cling to? Just maybe a phrase, you don't have to know the reference, but a phrase that you remind yourself of, truth from Scripture, during time of suffering. Whether it be physical suffering, where just the brokenness of sin on our bodies and disease causes extremely difficult experiences in your earthly life, and you're clinging to Scripture to get through that, to come out on that eternal perspective that we've been singing about. Or suffering that we're going to talk about today, a very specific type of suffering, an affliction that others do to you because you look so much like Christ. Persecution, very specific type of suffering maybe you've encountered as we're going to talk about different types of persecution through Christ's words in Matthew 5 that maybe you've encountered even in your life here in the United States where you represent Christ to others and because of that you encounter suffering in relationships, maybe at the workplace, Maybe, maybe even at home. I know of some of you who's even, even your relationship with family members and parents is strained because you followed Christ. So we're going to talk about that specific type of suffering. And I'd like to ask you to be thinking about what truth it is you can cling to when you go through suffering, but specifically persecution. Christ is going to offer us some truths in this beatitude to cling to. And I really appreciate the song that Ken closed our worship team, our worship time with. And I'm, I think... If you're like me, maybe it was new to you. It was a newer hymn to you. It's not a new hymn, but a newer hymn to you. And I'd just like to take a minute to reread this, th these lyrics. I'll read them from the slides so you can really just see the depth of truth that is often found in these hymns. Whether I live or die, whether I wake or sleep, whether upon the land or on the stormy deep, when tis serene and calm or when the wild winds blow, I shall not be afraid. I am the Lord's, I know. When with abundant store or in deep poverty, when all the world may smile or it may frown on me, when it shall help me on or shall obstruct my way, still shall my heart rejoice, I am the Lord's today. When I am safe at home or in a foreign land, when on an icebound shore or on a sunlit strand, when on the mountain height or in the valley low, still doth he care for me, I am the Lord's, I know. Nothing shall separate from his unbounded love, neither in depths below nor in the heights above. And in the years to come, he will abide with me. I am the Lord's indeed for all eternity. I appreciate that the author of this hymn has clung to the fact that he belongs to God no matter where or what he goes through. For all eternity, as I said during the welcome time, this is an eternal trade, the sorrows for joy. This was written by a man named Charles W. Naylor. I had to look him up because this hymn struck me as I was preparing for the sermon. And 
And I have to imagine that the truths that he wrote about in this hymn were what he clung to throughout his life. If you look at his birth and death date there, this is a really terrific time to be alive. He was born on the heels of the Civil War, Americans patching themselves back together after we fought against each other. And then he saw the Spanish-American War, World War I, and World War II all within his lifetime. So he saw suffering on a global scale, but also on an individual scale as neighbors, friends, people that he grew up with went off to war, and some came back and some didn't. He saw suffering in a, in a whole different way than maybe even we see today. But particularly, kind of in his mid-30s, he suffered two pretty serious accidents, which transformed his life and I believe caused him to cling to that truth that he belongs to the Lord no matter what happens. You see, in his mid-30s, he suffered two accidents that resulted in him, him being paralyzed, bedbound for 41 years, the remaining 41 years of his life. And he continued to write hymns and, and Bible lessons and scripture reflections, much like what we sang together, in spite of having this life-altering experience, unimaginable suffering to live the first 34 years of your life and have it transformed in that way for the remaining 41 years. So hopefully you can be thinking as we talk through this process that Jesus has been leading us through of what truth out of today's beatitude, which promise can you cling to? Maybe there's ones that you've already heard as Pastor Nathan's led us through this process that you're clinging to even this week. But hopefully after our time in God's word today, you can cling to some of these truths as you encounter suffering, maybe even in your life, the specific type of suffering that is persecution. So if you remember where we were, we're going through this process, and I'll tell you, this. hopefully for the rest of you, this series has transformed the way you look at the Beatitudes. I know it has for me. Instead of these individual kind of personality traits that maybe I do have or don't have, I can see that this is a process that God will lead us through. As we respond to his spirit, he's transforming us. He, uh, Pastor Nathan mentions that Christ kicks his series off with repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so he's bringing us through this process of repentance as he reminds us, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. As you recognize that you're spiritually penniless, broke, Ken let us in that thought this morning as we began, just realizing you have nothing to bring. And as you mourn, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. You see the true cost, the initial purchase cost of that sin and maintenance throughout your life as it's harmed you, harmed your relationship with God and others. You mourn your sin, but you see that a gracious God will comfort you with the knowledge that that sin has been paid for by the blood of Christ. Meekness, we were reminded that meekness is submitting our strength to God. You're not selfishly grasping for a solution on your own, and you turn to God and say, work this out because I can't. I've seen the futility of my actions, and I can't do this. And the turn begins with, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. If you're hungering and thirsting after righteousness, after all, this is what God wants you to find, wants you to have in your life. And so he will satisfy you with the richness of his spirit and in his word. And even in Christian fellowship, you'll see a, a life of right with Godness, is what we decided righteousness is, is defined as, will be satisfying. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Recognizing the depth of your sin your helplessness, submitting your strength to Christ, submitting to him, recognizing the great mercy that's been shown to you enables you to show that same mercy to others. 
purity, remember he poured out that dirty water and said, a life of no contamination, singular focus, dedicated to following Christ. And that brought us to last week's passage, peacemakers. Remember, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. You represent God to the world at large. Because you've, trans- you've gone through this transformation in your heart, you portray Christ to this world. And they were repulsed by it. We're going to see that reaction of the world in today's Beatitudes. Remember from last week, going out and making peace with your brother, leaving your gift at the altar, and that active role of making peace with those that maybe you've offended or have offended you, changes you into the type of person that we're going to encounter today as we go into blessed are the persecuted. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Before we go into that, let's pray. Father, this is your word. These were all your ideas. It's by your grace that you would even transform our hearts. And I just pray this morning as we consider what truth from your word we can cling to when we suffer as your people. How we can look at life with an eternal perspective and see that there is something so much greater in our future if we know you then what's at hand right now? And even the specific suffering or persecution, Father, we do pray that you would find us faithful in that and that you bring your word to mind as we endure it. Pray especially or also for the women who are at the ladies' retreat this weekend, Father, that you are binding them together in unity, that you're strengthening these sisters as they return to their families and to their marriages, that you would Use these times, these getaways, as, as we, we get away with our church family to strengthen your church for the purposes you have for us. Thank you for this morning and the breath that you've given us to share your word. And I just pray that you'd speak through this time and that they would hear your truth and not mine. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've been going over these Beatitudes, and every one of them, if you've been with us for several weeks, starts with this word, blessed. We kind of came to this definition with Pastor Nathan over the process of the last several weeks that blessed is this contentment, this secure contentment that we have because we are right with Christ. If you go through this process, you'll see that Jesus is actually for your happiness. So we're going to continue on that theme. Now, there were terms to that happiness. It wasn't reaching out and getting it on your own as the meek learn. They submit their strength to Christ. It's not supplementing your walk with Christ with other things. It's the pure in heartness that the Beatitudes call for. But we're reminded Jesus is for your happiness. And I believe that you'll find that to be true also in this final Beatitude. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Christ says blessed, contented, happy are those who are persecuted. For righteousness' sake. It's important he makes this distinction because you could incur per- persecution for a variety of things, right? It's, it's, like I said, it's mainly because you've identified with an idea, a group, or Christ. You're persecuted or you're afflicted because of a specific identity. And Christ wants his followers to know because many of them will go through persecution in the near future. And we'll read their words here in a moment. The guys that were sitting right in front of him as he was speaking later reflect on this sermon as they experience persecution. He's saying this this is for a specific reason. You're you're going to be persecuted for righteousness' sake. You're going to be persecuted because you look so much like me to a world that hates me 
they're going to persecute you. This helped me see that, you know what, when we go through persecution, whether it's some of the physical uh, types of persecution and loss that we see around the globe, or it's some of what I think are the types that we experience here in the U.S. that Christ even talks about, this helps me see that works of persecution in the world are really the world's affirmation that you are doing this right, that you are looking like Christ, and because of that, they hate you. Jesus reminds us of that in chapter 15 of John. He says, hey, they hate you because they hated me first. When you look like me, they will hate you because you're not of the world. So he's reminding the disciples and the crowd that's there that this persecution is very specific and is for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. As I was reading about persecution, you know, there's many resources out there about uh, the persecuted church, ministries that specifically serve persecuted church, both underground and known in many places of the world. And sometimes one of the barriers to us understanding persecution or what the eternal goal of our lives are is the culture that we live in. Mike Gore, who's the CEO of Open Doors Missions in Australia, they minister specifically to the persecuted church in Southeast Asia, kind of that Pacific region. He met a Chinese believer once, and he said that this Chinese believer said, persecution is the enemy's second best tactic. This is a Chinese believer. Out of probably the top three persecuted churches in the whole globe, this Chinese believer said, persecution is actually the enemy's second best tactic. He said his first is materialism. That was sobering to me where you know as well as I do that we live in a fairly materialistic society. We're driven, pushed, marketed towards materialism. So if we can talk for a second about this kingdom of heaven and the idea of thinking of rewards that are, are better than what we see, because it's got to be better than what we see. I would love us to think about this eternal perspective. And one of the ideas that came to mind, hopefully will help you with this, is maybe you've been at a party or a bridal shower, or a birthday party, or maybe you've uh, been one of the recipients of such an event, and you're sitting at that shower or that party, and uh, if you were the gift giver and you gave your gift to the celebrant of that party, and it's just beautifully wrapped, and they look at it, you've probably been in this spot. You're so excited for them to see what's inside the present, and they look at how crisp and how cleanly wrapped this is, uh, obviously not wrapped by me in this case, it's just very pretty paper, and I can tell that based on the outside, how beautiful the outside is, what's inside must be really precious, must be really important. And if you're the recipient, you just take a look at it for a moment, and you say, wow, this is gorgeous. And maybe somebody points out how beautiful the bow is, and how ornate the tag is, and the wrapping paper shows me that what's inside is going to be really precious. But if you're the person who gave the gift, you're just so excited for that person to see what's inside right? You know you spent time finding the right gift, and you're just shaking inside knowing what's inside is so much better than what you see. It's, it's, it's beautiful in its appearance, and there's a lot of care and, and value obviously shown. But what you know has to happen is the person has to see what's inside this gift. So this has to be destroyed. And we think about persecution. Maybe you can think about persecution. At some point, the elimination or the tearing away of just these physical things, maybe loss of property. There's a purification that happens to people's faith as parts of that outer packaging are removed. It has to be torn away. It's not without value, 
but what's inside is much more meaningful. So as I was thinking about this idea of persecution bringing us to the kingdom of heaven and this eternal perspective that we can have, I was thinking about it's, it's got to be like God saying, what is inside, what is waiting for you is so much better than what you can see. What is in the future with me, this kingdom, where you see the perfect, unaffected dominion of God, a holy God who's just and kind, is ruling without interruption, without challenge. And you see this in the kingdom of heaven. It makes me think about the gift has to be unwrapped for us to enjoy it. It has to go through that process. And what we will see is in the future passage is that we will be co-heirs of Christ. We will be given a crown of life through this persecution. Those who are faithful through this persecution see this, this pared down, purified view of eternity. You know, you've probably read the words of the persecuted, so you know what I'm saying is that they, they don't have any distractions. They know who they belong to. Think about it like this. When we, are, when we are on a mystery car ride, which is an idea that the Baileys stole from the Wallaces, when we're on a mystery car ride with our family, and we tell them we are on a mystery car ride. They don't know what the destination is. But at some point, it's fun to tell them, like, maybe a few miles out, this is where we're going. There was one particular car ride we took where we took our kids up north to go to Great Wolf Lodge. And we told them about at Baldwin, hey, we're going to Great Wolf Lodge. So the drive be between Allegan and Baldwin was, where are we going? Where are we going? Where are we going? Where are we going? And many, many guesses of where we might be going, all of which were less great than Great Wolf Lodge. Once we got to Baldwin and met up with some friends of ours and continued to Great Wolf Lodge and told them where we were going, what did it change to? When are we going to get there? When are we going to get there? When are we going to get there? I don't know which is worse to put up with as a parent, but the excitement of them knowing how awesome the goal was going to be, how great it was going to be when we got there, was, was really fun. And so for the last hour of our trip, it was, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we going to get there yet? It's really exciting to see as they change, when they know what the destination is, when they know where they're headed, how excited they got. And I think that's the perspective shift that we have to have as we think about what Christ is promising those of us who are going through persecution. But first, I believe Jesus is for your happiness through persecution. He's through your for your happiness through persecution, both through as enduring and throughout it, as your faith is purified and you see his glory more clearly, and through persecution as a means to your happiness, to your contentedness, as you see that eternal perspective of this might be the means that even takes my life and unites me with him in eternity. So Jesus continues in verse 11, helping us understand what persecution even you and I might go through. And I, I'm so grateful for his words in this passage because it takes away that, well, that's the, something that happens somewhere else-ness that happens when we talk about persecution. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you. He's talking to specific singular use here now. Maybe he's looking at Peter and John as they're sitting at his feet saying, blessed are you, because this is going to happen. Peter will use the same words later in 1 Peter. We'll talk about that in a moment. Reviling and persecution. So he's saying, blessed are you when people make up stuff about you because you look like me. Blessed are you when people taunt you, cruelly taunt you, at a moment of just desperate suffering, are agonizing you with their words. 
Think of reviling like the thief on the cross who says, if you're really the son of God, save yourself and us. Taunting Christ at the moment of his death when he's dying for the thieves on the cross. When he's dying for the soldiers who are crucifying him, being taunted even during that death. Revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. As I said at the beginning, Jesus talks about a very specific type of persecution for an important reason. Because if you're the type of person who goes out and makes peace, as much as it depends on you with other people and are called the son of God because of that, then when people say evil things about you, it'll be untrue. May, may God find these things untrue about us. And as he says, as Jesus says to his disciples, you're blessed because you've been a peacemaker. And you're at the point where all of these things are going to be false that they're saying about you. So blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and other all kinds of evil against you falsely. But he adds this helpful phrase, and you see it in the text in front of you, on my account. Remember in John 15, he says, they hate you because they hated me. If in peacemaker we become called the sons of God, it's because they hate us because we look like Christ. And what a relief to know. It's not, it's not even personal. It happens to you personally, but it's because they hate Christ. And because he takes everything onto his account, our sins and our sin debt, he also takes onto his account what is happening to you. This is being, this is being done to you because of me. They're saying lies about you because of what you show to be true about me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in what? Say it out loud. Heaven. That's so hard to remember. It's in heaven. It's not here on earth. There's such an immediate perspective in our lives. And how can we celebrate? How can we rejoice and be glad? Because we know what is inside of this life. What is deeper, we can't see yet is so much greater than what we're experiencing. As I was thinking about suffering and kind of the, the end goal and sticking through this process of suffering, I was thinking about a, a brief time in my life where I was a cyclist. And I had this goal of riding a century, which is where you ride 100 miles or more in a day. And so I set off from about Zealand area with my father-in-law, and him and I rode on this ride. And we had, we had a clear destination, get up to a family property, outside of Scottville. And so we took off on this bike ride. And you know, I've been riding the most I had ever ridden in that season of my life. So the first half of it wasn't terrible. About mile 65, I started to realize it would cost me a lot more to turn around now. If I turn around, it's going to be worse than if I go ahead. But I knew it was ahead of me. Ahead of me was mileage I had never ridden. So you don't ride 100 miles to prepare for 100 miles. I'd ridden 60 miles, 70 miles. So miles 75 through probably 95 was ugly. Ugly. Like I sounded ugly. I looked ugly. I smelled ugly. It was terrible. It was guts, suffering. And, and all, it, just, it, it just becomes mental at that point. You, many of you are far more athletic than me and have done things like this, and you know there's a point in any of these types of undertakings where it just becomes mental. And you're like, I've got to finish. When I finish, it will be okay. It will not be like this when I'm done. And so from mile 75 or to 95, it was just terrible. And I could never even see my father-in-law because he cycles so much more than me, and I'm just out there on Maple Island Road dying. And I think, I've got to finish. 
I can do this now. We're at mile 95. So we get to the cabin. It's mile 102, and I sit down in this chair. And there's no trophy. There's no medal. There's no, like, fanfare other than my wife and kids clapping as we roll in. There's, there's no real prize that's given to me tangibly. But you know what? I sat down in that chair, and I thought, I made it. I don't have to do that ever again if I don't want to. Now I can say I did it. <laughs> Eight years from now, we'll be preaching and talking about it. And so I sat in that chair with this contentedness that I can't explain. Like, I, I felt fine. In spite of what I had gone through, I felt fine because I knew it was over and I knew I had made it. And I have to imagine that this is part of this reward when you're in perfect heaven where, where the goodness of God is completely unopposed. And the love of God is completely undistracted from. And John says later in Revelation where there's no tears because there's no reason to cry and there's no disease. And all we do is worship God and we are face to face with the one who gave himself for us. I have to imagine that there is an indescribable contentment of I never have to do that again. That's done. And I'm so glad I'm here now. I would go through that again if I had to in order to be here resting in this way. I think that's what Jesus is saying, is there's going to be a reward that you can't conceive because you haven't gone through this mileage yet, but once you do, you'll understand that there's nothing like it. Great is your reward in heaven. He reminds us, though, as those who might be persecuted, and like I said, the disciples who sat at his feet at that very moment, you are in good company. He reminds them, for so they, prosecuted, so they persecuted the prophets who are before you. You're in good company if you're persecuted because you know what? They've been doing this to people who spoke to people on behalf of God for all of, all of written history. To be a prophet in the Old Testament was to be persecuted because the world, at the end of the day, the world does not want to hear what you have to say. They want what you have deep down, but they want to hear who you represent. So he says, you'll be persecuted, but when you are, you're in good company. And to the, I would have to imagine to the Jews, this was the best news. You're going to be like Elijah. You're going to be like Noah. You're going to be like David. You're going to be like these men who followed faithfully through persecution. Like I said at the beginning, John and Peter and many of the other disciples found this to be true for themselves not shortly after Christ left earth. They were all faithful in following Christ with the exception of Judas. The disciples all went into the world sharing the gospel. Just using an example of John, John was faithful. He's the beloved disciple. He wrote several books to churches who were enduring persecution. He wrote the book of Revelation, which tells us the most about heaven and what's promised as a reward. John himself endured great persecution at the hand of the Romans to the point where he ended his life in exile, being marooned on this desert island called Patmos. You're probably familiar with this. It's west of Turkey in the Aegean Sea. And he wrote a, a letter, he wrote a collection of letters, but he wrote a letter to a church in Smyrna. Smyrna was a Roman city that was one of the first cities that did empire, emperor sacrifice. So the words that I'm going to read to you here are in the context of people who were told you have to sacrifice incense to the emperor as God once a year in order to live. It's that simple. So Christians and Jews who were in this community were told later in the mid-2nd century that they had to follow the emperor in the way that you and I seek to follow Christ, by sacrificing to the emperor once a year 
and getting basically this freedom certificate that you can live and do business in this empire. So he writes these words to the church in Smyrna. They'll be up on the screen, but they're in Revelation chapter 2 if you like to mark this for your studies later. He says in verse 8, To the angel of the church in Smyrna write the words of the first and the last. Who's the first and the last? The Alpha and the Omega. This is Jesus talking to his church on, on the, the eve of persecution to this church, he says, who died and came to life. Hey guys, I've, I've beaten death. So if what you go through includes death, just know that's not it. That's not the end. And for many of these brothers and sisters, that's going to be what they, what they endure. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. He says, I know you. I see you. Like in the Beatitudes, those of you, individuals that I'm looking at now who go through persecution, he knows you, church. Your, pers- your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not. Slander, does that sound familiar to what John must have heard on the Sermon on the Mount? When people slander or revile you, say all manner of evil against you? They are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have a tribulation. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. Great is your reward in heaven. Jesus is telling the church that's going to be persecuted, the church that he seems to be most proud of in the, the letters to the early churches, he says, stick with it. Don't think that all of this wrapping is all you will get because what's inside is much better, this crown of life. And he concludes this letter by saying, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. I died and now I live. He says, you will too. If it comes to this, church, you will too. Jesus is for your happiness, not only through and in the midst of persecution and as a means of purifying your faith, faith, but in eternity. Ultimately, that satisfaction of knowing that you were faithful, as was he, as he brought you through this persecution to the real eternal goal of the crown of life. So, what do we do? How do we respond as we kind of conclude the Beatitudes and move into a new series and continue the Sermon on the Mount? How do we respond? See, I think, I think the church often thinks about how to prepare for persecution as though there's a specific date on the calendar when this is going to happen. And most of the, the early church's writings, most of Paul and John, as they respond to this Beatitude for their own churches that are enduring persecution, talk about how to respond. So Jesus is for your happiness through persecution and into eternity. So here's what we can do. We can pray. If you're in the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, uh, on the Sermon on the Mount, you can probably look over to the far right column in your Bible and read with me Matthew chapter 5, 44. Or I'll, I'll read it aloud. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. When you pray for the ones who are reviling you or saying evil and untrue things about you, church, you will look like Christ. You'll be called a son of God, just like the peacemakers that came before you. You'll be called a son of God. And also pray for those who are suffering around the world. Uphold them in your prayers, that they would react the same way, that their faith would be purified, that their testimony would be strong, 
As you read about the persecuted church in Acts, this is how they respond. They get arrested, they get out of jail, they meet, and they pray. And they pray for strength and witness. So pray. Also rejoice. As I said, John and Peter were some of the guys who responded or reflected on this sermon later on in their life as they endured persecution. In 1 Peter 4, 13, Peter's talking to his church about suffering as a Christian. And he says, rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So reminding us that because the world hated Christ, they are going to hate us. The sufferings that we go through as a result of persecution for our faith, for righteousness' sake, is putting us in league with Christ. And if we are in league with him, in our sufferings, we'll be in league with him for eternity. This crown of life, this glory that we'll experience, is far better than the life that's being pulled away from us through persecution. So rejoice. Pray, rejoice, and bless. This might be the hardest one to do here. 1 Peter 3, so if you go over another page to 1 Peter 3, 9, Peter again is talking about suffering. In fact, a lot of Peter's experience was suffering, and a lot of his writing reflects on it throughout 1 Peter and 2 Peter. 1 Peter 3, verse 9, it's almost like he's quoting Jesus. He says, do not repay evil for evil. You'll hear this in a couple of weeks as we go into Matthew 5. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. That's hard. It may be you were called into this persecution to refine your faith, to purify your walk with Christ, and remind you of that eternal perspective. And when you find yourself in that persecution, don't repay evil for evil, reviling for reviling. That is what the world, after all, wants us to do. They want to say, see, you're not like Christ after all. You just did back what I did to you. Do not repay evil for evil, reviling for reviling, but bless. Bless others. Respond out of kindness and sincerity. Only way that we could would be through the spirit that indwells us. So I hope you have a truth that you can cling to as you endure these different persecutions. You've seen over the last several weeks this process that we've gone through, and it's important to remember that as you reach these different moments in your growth as a believer, all of these things are still true of you. So to become one of these folks who responds to persecution through prayer, blessing others, not repaying evil for evil, you would have gone through poor in spirit all the way to peacemaker. As you go through this process, this produces in you something different, something that the world will react to, something that both testifies to Christ's work in your heart, but also gets the reaction of the world that we talked about this morning. We'll be going into different as a series next Sunday as we see that we are the salt of the world. Let's pray. Father, I'm thankful for your word, and I'm thankful that you promise us something so much greater. I'm grateful for this life, Father, and that you use it to reveal yourself to us, to give us an opportunity to see your word and hear the good news, and share it with other people. Just pray for those in this church who do encounter actual persecution, where they are mocked and reviled, that they would repay that with kindness, trusting you, showing the world who we trust because of how we respond. Give us the strength to do that only through your Spirit, Father. 
Be with this church in the coming weeks as we continue in your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.